So hello and welcome to episode six of the Hashtag Product Design Podcast. As always, for those of you who don't know or couldn't guess by the title, this is a series of talks where I'll be picking the brains of industry experts exploring different topics within product and design. I have the pleasure of finally being joined by Alex Dupont. It's been a long time coming this one, um, but I'm really excited about this one for sure. Today, we'll be exploring the topics of design within fintech and the importance of creating a seamless user experience and what it takes to build a great design team. Um, Alex, again, Pleasure having you on here, of course. Um, please, could you just give us a quick overview of your career so far? Absolutely, Matt. It's a pleasure that we finally made it. Uh, <laughs> yeah. I'm happy to be sitting here today. Um, yeah, I mean, I think to like really start at the beginning of my career, I am. I was on my way to become an architect, but I failed. Uh, yeah. Things, right? So I was like, okay, yeah. mathematics, physics, and so on. That's all not for me. Um, yeah. And I think that was when I started looking at okay what are other creative fields because for me architecture was like this one thing my dad is an interior designer and i've always mm. seen like furniture and colors and stuff and i wanted to get into this creative field and i think yeah. from there it was like okay it's not going to be buildings and houses and that's where i started like working initially in graphic design i did a lot of editorial yeah um, i went to design school and um always worked simultaneously so my first job was in a very small studio where we've been working on editorial pieces, mostly for tourism. And I think while I was doing that, I like I was always interested also in this whole digital aspect. And I think mm. back then it was still kind of earlier days, yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. especially when it comes to, okay, what is product design, user experience mm. uh, and so on. So I kind of taught myself some coding skills Mm. I'm still a terrible coder uh, <laughs> yeah. if, if, you, would, if yeah. you would check me on that. Yeah. But that kind of landed in my first job in an agency. And um, mm. the interesting thing was like, I was web designer back then. Mm. Um, but the agency was working with hotels um, a lot. I mean, I'm from the north of Italy. So tourism is like really, really yeah. big. And they did have some products. They had a CRM system. They had a booking software. Um, and all these sort of things. So I think that was a little bit like my first touch point into actually, okay, there's a user using it. It's not just about like the prettiness of a website yeah. and um, like being in contact with users and trying to optimize how this whole tool worked and finding the right flows for different kind of customer groups and segments, um, personas, if you would want to yeah. call them. Um, and I think that was the start. And from there on, I went through a couple of like different companies. I moved to Germany, initially Munich, um, then to Berlin. And uh, yeah, then popped up and it was like, I mean, we're going to talk about the fintech companies. So yeah, of course. That was yeah. like where I first kind of got in contact with this whole uh, fintech yeah. world. Um, and I started there initially as an IC, but the company started growing quite quickly. Yeah. Um, I think like just between me signing the contract and actually joining the company, we went from 70 people to like almost 200 uh, because yeah. of an acquisition. Yeah. Um, and that was a really good opportunity for me also to then go more and more into the leadership role. Uh, I mean, yeah. I did lead a smaller team already before. Um, but like really talking about uh, yeah, it was a new level when it juniors yeah. <laughs> yeah. over the time yeah. Um, but yeah, some some have really changed this. So um, I had the chance to to like be heading their design team for uh, four years. Um, we hired probably 
60, 70 <laughs> designers in the time. Yeah. I mean, when I left, we're like 40, uh, between 40 and 50 people in the organization across like yeah. uh, Europe and South America. And um, yeah, then after sum up, I did a short kind of uh, yeah. segue into, into consulting. So I was working for Bain & Company. Um, also there, because of my background, I was mostly focused on fintech companies. Yeah. Um, so I was interim uh, heading a design team or building a design team for a Swiss bank that wanted to kind of move into um, fintech, build a challenger bank to yeah. the classics and 26, Revolut mm -hmm. and so on, because they were obviously like eating into their business. Yeah. And um, now I'm at Moonfair and Moonfair... It's still a fintech company. <laughs> very, very, very niche part. Segment. Yeah, very, very niche part of fintech, of course. Yeah. Correct, correct. <laughs> so, yeah, private equity investments. Um, pretty much trying to make private markets more accessible to yeah. the public. Um, I mean, still our segments or our customers are mostly high net worth individuals yeah um, i think yeah i think i think i think yeah i think disrupting a uh, multi-billion <laughs> euro industry is very difficult to make it make it um accessible to everyday people yeah. let's say um but yeah. i know obviously <laughs> the investments have drastically reduced from what they typically are in the in the industry um yeah yeah so yeah look obviously thanks very much for the summary um of course, I know we've been working together for a little bit as well, which is where the, where the relationship comes from, which is always good. Um, but yeah, I think the reason why I wanted to grab you for, for this podcast, Alex, was because obviously fintech is a booming industry. I think it's a booming industry globally right now. I think there's many different, even you know the, the poorer parts of the world, fintech is starting to, to build up there um, and starting to improve the, the general financial situation in, in a lot of different areas right now. Um, yeah. I, I think... I know traditional banking and traditional finance companies um, digitizing, you know, the digital era of those, you know, in the digital era of this industry has, uh, has proven highly successful. Obviously a lot of, as you mentioned, N26 and Revolut, I think some of them are actually worth more than all of the traditional banks put together these days. <laughs> um, but yeah, obviously design within FinTech, that's the, the main reason why we wanted to, to speak about it because obviously digitizing a very traditional industry i think design as a concept is a new thing certainly in a lot of the more traditional financial areas um so just generically really what do you believe the the current state of design within fintech is right now i mean, there has definitely been a lot of progress and yeah. you mentioned it or i mean we we already heard a couple of names right i think the those neo banks um are probably the first one that comes to someone's mind and we've mm. also seen them develop a lot from being really just only a credit card that someone would issue to you so that you kind of have this yeah. um, digital wallet to now those those players like really going into banking licenses offering a very broad spectrum from mm. Uh, investments, um, everything also into more alternative assets, uh, cryptocurrencies, these sort yeah. of things, um, insurances being being offered as, as part of their product. So mm. um, definitely there has been a lot of movement. And also if we look at finances or the financial sector in, in general, right? I mean, it's, it's everywhere. It's from yeah. the way you go into shop and pay for the things you buy, yeah. 
uh, the way you get your salary, you need yeah. to think of saving, investing. Mm. I mean, money, money is such a, a crucial part for us. And historically, especially with traditional banks, it has been very complicated. Mm. And I think the, the, the goal of, of fintechs is generally to simplify a lot of this, making mm. things more accessible. Um, you also mentioned emerging markets, right? I mean, we're, we're, we're looking at countries where opening a bank account is not something everyone can do. Not everyone exactly, can just walk yeah. into a bank, mm. but everyone kind of has access to a smartphone and to mm. internet or, or most people have. Yeah. Um, and I think this is like really where, where fintechs come in and where fintechs have also disrupted a lot over the last mm. um, couple of years. And I think it's, it's only going to be uh, going to grow, right? And uh, big banks, um, if, if we think of like also the work that I've been doing um, in, in, in consulting, big banks, are afraid of those new products. Oh, yeah, hundred percent. Right? Yeah, they move way faster. They yeah. um, find smart ways around also regulatories mm. um, and and more <laughs> tricky yeah. topics where where the traditional banks just cannot keep up the pace. And I think that's yeah. that's where we're we're currently at a really good place. I would yeah, say. no, I completely agree. I think um, a lot of the the newer fintech businesses have a very first principle approach to their you know to their um business models to their approach you know their, their approach to overcoming as you said regulatory issues and legal issues and things like that right. where you know the traditional banks have had such structured ways of working previously i think it's much more difficult for them to make changes or implement changes i think that's across design engineering everything like that you know a lot of the people i speak to i worked in engineering recruitment before and a lot of people that worked at traditional banks or traditional companies let's say across germany and across other countries always said that processes were generally very slow and trying to implement change was very very difficult whereas obviously in the newer businesses where there's not legacy systems for instance or there's not tons and tons of things that they have you know tons of levels of management that they have to go through to, to do this it's it's obviously been revolutionary yeah. for sure um in terms of fintechs um and apps and products um i wanted to ask you your personal opinion um what do you believe maybe a handful doesn't have to be one particular one but i know we've mentioned a few already um what do you believe the best fintech applications or products are on the market currently i'd say across europe <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I think both Revolut and N26 are like really yeah. strong players. Um, I would definitely also mention companies like TransferWise or now called Wise. Yeah. More um, in the segment of like, okay, international payments and these sort of things. Um, Nowadays, you also have a lot of companies uh, moving into the B2B space, right? So is it Plio? Is it Quanto in France? Um, I would say they are all like doing a really, really good job. Um, yeah. Similar space. You would also have things like Moss. Um, I think they are, but they're US based probably. Yeah. Um, but yeah, those, those are kind of the, the first few that come to my mind. And then yeah. uh, it goes more into kind of niche markets. Um, 
probably I would also put uh, PayPal in there. And I mean, PayPal yeah. has been around for quite some time, but they're still, yeah. still massive yeah. players, right? Massive, massive, <laughs> massive use. Yeah, they're one, certainly one company that haven't disappeared for sure um, among, yeah. amidst the numerous other of you know, various other payment methods, i.e. Klarna and uh, you know, others, other yeah. players like that have come into the similar markets. Um, talking about Klarna, um, interesting enough, it just came into my head. Um, what's... <laughs> obviously you're fully aware um of the situation there and obviously at other companies right now too um unfortunately having to lay off staff right now um i mean i've read articles about it um there's mixed mixed opinions on why this is happening right now um it's a little bit steering off topic but i think it's a relevant topic obviously a hot topic right now which Absolutely. i think a lot of people would want to hear hear opinions on um what do you believe is happening right now in terms of financial situation possible recessions being talked about obviously <laughs> <laughs> yeah and i mean i think that there is definitely like a lot of different ideas um mm. i mean you have like from very pessimistic okay we're um probably entering a recession that's going to last uh, at least a couple of years to yeah. being a little bit more optimistic um i think one thing that we've definitely seen uh is that especially from an investor's perspective, mm. um, they all want to go for stability, right? And mm. we're, we're talking about, I mean, working in, in the private equity space and venture capital space and so yeah. on. Um, it's, it's those who give the money to the companies or who gave traditionally the money to the companies to grow that now want to see stability, that want to see revenue and so on. Yeah. And I think this is where we can now see um, a lot of layoffs, right? Because yeah. um, historically, everyone was going straight for growth, right? Throwing a lot of money, especially at marketing, yeah. to grow a customer base. And not all of them with um, a very strong uh, business model behind that after the growth actually gives you constant revenue. Mm. Um, and I think it's just like where now companies need to switch a little bit and um, there will probably be less investments also in the future for pure growth. Yeah. And that's where now companies are talking about cash conservation. They're talking about like, okay, how can we actually <laughs> extend our uh, run rates uh, yeah. and sort of reduce actually the the marketing spendings and yeah. our customer acquisition growth. And I mean, it's probably probably we will get more news like the ones from Klarna, yeah. Gorillas, yeah. Um, Netflixes, and so on yeah. in the next couple of yeah weeks. And I agree. Months. I agree. Yeah, I think um, as you mentioned, growth is also obviously a, a big push for um, increasing users and things like that. But also growth from a personnel perspective, you know, hiring quite quickly and obviously quite rapidly. Yeah. We'll, 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 I know we're going to delve deeper into that, into obviously into the next topic. But yeah, I think um, you know companies that grow rapidly, maybe not for the right reasons, maybe because they think that's the way to that's the way they're going to you know maybe achieve more users or that's the the best thing to do unfortunately that obviously leads to especially new starters and people that joined the business recently i know a lot of the people that i've seen on linkedin specifically um were new starters or hadn't been there necessarily that long that's the unfortunately the first people that, that have to have to be laid off at that point but yeah i mean that's a, another topic in itself that we could uh, could talk about forever <laughs> um but yeah so back, back to our original topic essentially um why do you believe it's so important 
in fintech or you know generally but mainly in fintech to have a big focus on creating a seamless user experience or having a big focus on really understanding what the users want as opposed to maybe basing decisions off assumptions or basing decisions off purely competitor analysis or something like that yeah i mean i think it has a little bit to do with the fact that first of all all those financial topics have been very complicated right mm. and if you want to um, broaden the access um, if you want to get it to more people uh, if you want to especially target like younger generations which most especially the, the neobanks um, yeah. uh, did then you need to simplify those things right you need to make sure that you find an easy way that you um, to one extent also remove the friction uh, of mm. lengthy processes signups and so on um, and I think the user experience has pretty much been the one and only driver for growth for a lot of these companies. First of all, um, smarter ways of like growth in terms of user base. How do I refer people having like some, some programs behind it that, that make it very interesting, especially to younger people. Um, and then making sure that also the products itself are easy to use. Mm. And if you look at it, I mean, it starts with simple things like authentication, right? Yeah. Um, I, because of the industry that I'm working in, um, I have probably 20, 30 different bank accounts. And I went through all of them from traditional banks to yeah. the small ones. Well, the amount of letters that you receive and the amount of time that you need to wait for to get um, one of these traditional bank accounts opened, it's just like crazy. And yeah. that's especially people who are used to, to the digital tools, who spend a lot of time on their phones and that are used to good experiences yeah. um, that are actually focused on them and don't think so much about like the complexity that the business has to handle behind yeah. it. Um, that's that's why the why why design and user experience is so important in this field, and I think we're also talking about money, which is a topic that to some extent is scary. Like security yeah. is a really mm -hmm. big topic. Um, you need to trust the companies. I mean, um, at, at Moonfair, we're we're talking about hundreds of thousands of euros that someone yeah. needs to send us <laughs> yeah yeah exactly I mean, yeah. It's, yeah it's so so this, to some extent there is like okay you need to make it simple fast easy to use remove the friction yeah. but at the same time also it's very important from a ux perspective to sometimes introduce friction that also mm -hmm. creates this safety that gives you the feeling of like okay i i understand what is yeah. happening i'm not losing anything this is yeah i'm i'm, I'm doing the right thing and then sure. being also guided through through a process right yeah. because um we're also removing a lot the human aspect out of it right the mm. i go to a physical bank um and talk to someone that explains it to me now yeah. i need to understand it on my own through simple messaging through simple yeah. images through a clear flow that's not overwhelming and so on and I yeah. think this is like really something that you can only achieve by actually like observing seeing the people how they use mm. it talking to the people and understand where yeah. the traditional system is also failing them and mm. to then tackle it uh, and find new innovative ways to actually improve this yeah i think um 
yeah, as you mentioned, trying to make it simple and easy to use is, is important, but also it's money, right? And everyone wants to, their money to be secure. And generally there's lots of rules, regulations. <laughs> As a younger generation, we won't understand. Um, or if you don't work in banking or if you don't work in finance, you won't necessarily understand. If you hadn't had that experience before, you know, you buy a traditional bank, you might get sent four pages of terms and conditions that you literally have no idea <laughs> what any of it means, right? Um, <laughs> but you know, in in the more modern day apps and things like that, you know, they might still ha- they still have to go through those procedures. But it's a lot more it's a lot more understandable. It's broken down a lot more for for us to understand and and to to be able to interact with the applications much easier. Um, how important do you think discovery is in fintech in really getting to understand the user because i've had you know i obviously speak to designers every day um and i speak to product managers every day you know it's the what i do as a, as a recruitment consultant but discovery is a huge uh, it's obviously a concept it's a huge part yeah. of designers processes product managers processes um a lot of people a lot of people i speak to say that unfortunately their company doesn't have uh, you know a big big focus on it. it doesn't allow them as an individual or as a team to have too much focus mm-hmm. on it it's much more you know, we'll, I think what holds them back potentially is budget. Sometimes I think time, time frames is obviously things that hold people back. Yeah. You have to deliver something pretty quickly, depending on what industry you're in. There's not always enough time to do it, but yeah, I think I just wanted to ask you the question really. Alex. How important do you think the discovery phase, the discovery part of the whole process is? <laughs> yeah. I mean, I think every every designer would confirm, right? Discovery yeah, <laughs> yeah, very important. Independently, <laughs> if you work in fintech or if you work in another business, yeah, I think one thing that might be true, um, and that might be also the reason of why people say, okay, not enough discovery is happening, and so mm. on, is that because we are in a very mature stage for fintechs, yeah, there is also a lot of products around yeah and i think this is something where it's simply becoming very easy to copy certain things or to have seen something or to have a feeling or an understanding of what is a good user experience right Mm. okay it needs to be a guided onboarding process you need to have certain functionality and this is something that a lot of companies um do wrong unfortunately which is like okay this this classic okay do a benchmark i look at all the different features and they try to close feature gaps in order mm. to be able to compete with everyone yeah and then you lose focus if like all the fintechs that have become big they all started with one very specific user need yeah and to find that user needs you usually need to do discovery you need to, <laughs> yeah. you need to understand yeah. your users you need to know what they do what drives them and and what their pain points are it's not as simple okay copying something that's already there yeah yeah <laughs> will probably not give you um competitive advantage could yeah. be that you can decrease fees or something because you're yeah. a big player because you're a yeah. big bank but this is also why a lot of traditional banks don't manage to compete with the fintechs because they are lacking these processes. Yeah, They maybe hire an agency to execute on the, these bucket lists of things that are missing from the product yeah. or they simply are not flexible enough to have more agile, lean processes implemented in the organization. Mm-hmm. And that's why they fail. And I think the, the successful fintechs do spend time on discovery to do spend time to like really identify these these pain points and to improve yeah. them and i think as, as designers 
and not only designers, right? It's like the designers, the product managers, yeah. the engineers. Yeah. It's extremely important to to stay close to the customers and to do this recovery constantly. Yeah, definitely. I think assumption is um, a big part of certainly companies who don't necessarily have the, the right focus on discovery. I think obviously copying competitors is a big thing, you know, competitor analysis. It's obviously got to be done, right? You know, it's part of the, pro- it's part of the discovery process, right? It's part yeah. of understanding what your competitors are doing and how, but it's not about, oh, well, they're doing this, so we're going to do it. It's more about, well, they're doing this. So how can we better, how can we better that essentially? How can we do something that's different, but will be better than what they're already offering? And that's how they, how you differentiate from themselves from there. But yeah, I I hear a lot about, you know, assumption, the the company or from, from the top, they go, you know, this isn't working we assume that it's because of this. So let's go build this new feature and it should work. Yes. Um, and realistically, they, they waste so much more time doing that rather than just doing the discovery first and then doing it, right? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, that's that's exactly the moment where actually discovery should then kick in to be yeah. like, okay, I ideally I unvalidate um, these ideas or yeah. I validate them, right? But I yeah. think it's it's like always down to um, making sure and I think it's, it's, it's like also when, when someone, especially uh, far up in, in the organizational hierarchy, comes up with an idea, um, it's not that that necessarily will be a bad idea, not at all, but I think it's yeah. like really around like understanding, okay, um, maybe even before implementing that idea, what, what is it trying to solve? Yeah. And how can we potentially solve it even better um, mm. without falling into this solution trap of uh, just building things yeah because once they are also built it, a lot of companies uh have this big problem that they're not able to throw things away so they build it it's on the on the app um, yeah you need to maintain it um, there is a lot of maintenance that goes in and you end up having even less time to be like to innovate yeah to solve the original issue as well <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, I, again, I completely agree. Uh, I think it's a big problem across a lot of companies, uh, their approach to the discovery phase. And I think, as we've established, the, the best companies out there have the best approach. You know, they had they had one specific user need at the start, and they've built upon that, really got to understand their user base and what their users want. If they venture into different markets, they do the same thing. Um, you know, because let's say Revolut, for instance, you know, they've emerged into various different markets in different locations and certainly different locations that maybe haven't had access to digital banking before are going to react completely differently to the user experience than we you know we might from from having previous digital experience before um how do you think i know obviously you when you joined sum up it was a few years ago now um that was your first real first real fintech role am i right in saying where you had it had the first experience in fintech um But yeah, how do you think how do you think it's changed since then? You know, when you first walked through those doors at sum up, um, got to understand the market, got to understand, you know, the, the financial sector, the fintech experience. How do you think user experience as a whole has changed since then? Mm. I would say that there is definitely um, more awareness of mm. the whole topic and of the importance of user experience. And you can also see this in um, the hiring and then the way the market changed when it comes to yeah. massive need of designers and, yeah. <laughs> and a ton of open roles and a ton of like recruiters yeah. constantly trying to, to, to get talent from, from, um, from different companies. Um, I mean, I think while 
probably compared to some some other industries um and i've heard like in some previous talks um you also talked about okay it was only about aesthetics at the beginning and then we moved more and more into product and user experience mm. um i think user experience was definitely here but still the maturity also of design teams and the willingness to invest in yeah. design teams especially in europe um that that changed a lot i mean i think in the us um it, they're usually a little bit more ahead uh, of us. <laughs> yeah, generally. Yeah. Like, okay, yeah. Um, having really designers, different skill sets, uh, sitting within the different engineering teams. This this wasn't something that I've seen right away, right? We yeah. usually had like a user experience team and it was a way more waterfally approach of like yeah. getting some topics, um, designing them, uh, trying to make them both look prettier and work better um, yeah. with some research involved. But I think now it's like really shifting into, okay, you need to have at least one product designer. If there's a yeah. product manager, you need to kind of give them the ownership. They need to have access to data, yeah. to users um, and so on. So I think the biggest change is also this willingness to invest and the fear of the competitors and the competitive advantage that you can get or might lose yeah. um, based on your user experience. And I think that's obviously for designers <laughs> yeah. a really good development. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, I think we've seen it rocket. Certainly, uh, I'd even say probably since the start of the pandemic, to be honest. Um, I think because so many things were shifted to digital, um, because of the pandemic, because people weren't you know, able to go to physical shops, physical you know, banks or whatever it might be. Um, there were so many new new companies, new startups, um, existing startups doing different things, digitizing different thing, different processes they might already have. Um, and that saw a real shift in the need for, oh, we need product designers now. <laughs> um, so many companies decided, you know, we probably need to start investing and start looking into, into hiring product designers. Um, and there was a, a crazy shift and, um, yeah, I think the market is absolutely crazy right now. Um, certainly for, certainly for senior designers. I, um, I spoke <laughs> on, on the last podcast I did with, uh, Piotr Tomaszewski from Contentful. Um, we spoke about the, the senior market as it is right now. Um, and yeah, generally a lot of companies are, you know, we want, we want a senior designer, we want someone to hit the ground running, et cetera, et cetera. Um, which means that the senior pool now has obviously become massively, uh, <laughs> massively fluctuated. Um, and means that most senior designers know that they can now look for higher salaries and things like that, which makes it a pain for everyone. <laughs> um, <laughs> yes. but yeah. Um, cool. We look, I think we, uh, we covered off quite, a, quite a lot in that particular topic there within, within FinTech certainly. Um, but I wanted to change the, the scope of our conversation now more towards design teams in general. Um, now obviously you've built design teams previously before joining Moonfair. Um, you built obviously a, a large design team at some of course. Um, and you can, you're currently building a design team at Moonfair now. Um, so I just wanted to ask you first and foremost, when you, when you're given the task of, you know, you go into a business and they say, right, we want to build a new design team, or we want to give you the task of building a design team. Um, what are the key fundamentals of doing that? And um, where do you, where do you essentially start from? That's a fun question. And uh, it also depends a little bit like on the stage that the company is in and that the team is in. Right? Yeah. I, I'm now like comparing also directly my experience at SumUp where, yeah. I mean, the company was, was growing 
very fast and a lot. Yeah. Um, not sure we can talk about hyper growth there, but definitely <laughs> um, we did um, yeah. double in size multiple times each year. Um, but at least there it was like the whole company also started growing, right? So the yeah. design team grew with the company. Now with Moonfair, it's a slightly different experience because there was a very small design team, um, a lot of like work that happened also for freelancers, nobody who would really own it um, in the past. And so it's more around integrating a design team in already an existing organization that has Mm -hmm. a certain scale. And I think the two things are different, but fundamental thing is always to understand the needs and the organization right what are the teams that are there what are the features that are being worked on Um, what are the main challenges that the company is currently facing what are the business goals where do we need to um, have the right people and then like really also identifying okay what are the skills that we need for all these different places right um do I need some specialized designers on certain areas? Like, do I need a special visual UI designer who can like really take um, yeah. the visuals to a, to a next level? Do I need more broader product designers? Uh, do I need someone who can work on service design? Um, what are the research needs? Uh, do I need a separate yeah. research team, and so on and so forth? And I think that's like really where then comes down to trying to identify all the different needs, mm. obviously budgeting for them and <laughs> getting everything <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. approved, uh, especially with the current senior market. That's where, yeah. um, you, you usually need some back and forth um, yeah. and then starting to talk to people. And I think especially now um, with Moonfair, right, where... Um, just to also put it in context, I joined the company last year in March. So it's a little bit over a year now. Yeah. Um, and there was one designer when I joined. Yes. Bianca, right? And now <laughs> we are. <laughs> <correct>. <laughs> and now we are at um, 16 people in the design yeah. organization. Um, right, I mean, it's it's product designers, it's brand designers, it's yeah. researchers, it's even just, have yeah. video editors. Um, but obviously it's like, 16 people that all joined pretty much at the same time yeah so what else what you also need to do is like as you start adding people to the organization you need to identify okay what are now the missing skills or what are the skills that we have where where we need to then put Mm. someone in so that they can pair up um and and extend um each other so it's it's definitely also something where it needs a little bit like of resilience because you have to change a a lot or you have to constantly kind of reanalyze okay where do we stand now with the team is the budget actually still accurate am i looking for the right people do i need to change the profiles for the people um based on what we already have in the organization yeah to also make sure that you hire for a certain diversity both in skills as well as like the um culture and uh yeah. the thinking that the different people bring to the table and then yeah. adjust here and there yeah definitely i mean obviously from <clears throat> from my experience working with you alex i know there's been various situations where 
know the need to, to, to my pain obviously <laughs> um, but, but I know um, no obviously for, for all the right reasons of course as you as you explained I think it's not j- the, the vision and what you need changes drastically you know the more people you add the more skills you obtain but then there might be different areas that are missing um, that you need to, to adapt. Um, yeah. And yeah, I think it's certainly massively important to, to realize that and not just stick to one particular plan and say, this was the original plan we're going to stick with it. And because it, it massively changes depending on the, the people that you're able to bring in for sure. Yeah. Um, I know you mentioned hypergrowth a little bit there. We're not going to go into too much about hypergrowth necessarily. Um, but obviously as, as you explained, you know, you grew somewhat grew massively um, across the, the team there. Obviously, Moonfair's team has grown massively since you've been there. Um, quality over quantity is uh, a hot topic for sure. Um, I think, as I, I was talking to you before that we jumped on, um, the, the podcast I did with Glam, um, we, we spoke about this in quite depth about the hypergrowth phase, whether quality was sacrificed for quantity due to demands for growth. Um, mm-hmm. Have you witnessed this? Have you experienced it? Or I know certainly at Moonfair, certainly from my relationship with you, I know it's not the case. Um, but <laughs> have you seen it yourself? Have you seen it elsewhere? Yeah, definitely. And I think it's a little bit, it's a trap, right? Like Because yeah. you, you really need someone. Um, you, you have a lot of things that you need to deliver on. Yeah. Um, you have a lot of deadlines, uh, stakeholders who who put pressure on you. So yeah. I think it's it's easy to react to this and be like, okay, um, I need human resources. <laughs> I need yeah. people yeah. who can uh, who can get the work done. But I think that's that's usually a big mistake, right? Because if you yeah. hire the wrong people, it takes more time to well get them up to speed or to to support them or to give them feedback or to give them the right feedback Mm. and i think the worst thing that can happen is you hire the wrong person for the job you onboard them for a couple of months you've waited for a couple of months until they especially um, (laughs) exactly yeah Yeah. we're we're usually looking at these three months of yeah at least four months yeah. until they join and then you have um a couple of months until you figure out okay it's actually not the right person yeah uh, usually firing people or letting go people is something that you anyway always do way too late yeah. um so you burn a lot of time and then you're starting from scratch again because you need mm. to um go through this whole recruiting process which takes time and there's again notice periods so i think it's always better to make sure to have um, a hiring process that gives you a certain confidence that it Mm -hmm. is the right person for the role and that also gives the person itself um, the right confidence that you're the right team and yeah i mean it happened last week i was talking to um, a friend of mine and uh, I mean she's she's looking currently for a job and she interviewed at a company and in the first call they told her oh yeah you have the job you can start next week and she's like okay I'm totally not sure if, if that's yeah. what I want now I have this job on paper they want me to decide this week what should I do and yeah. <laughs> I mean I think this is also something that's I mean you you can see right that's like yeah. it needs to be fast it's more about this this quality aspect I need to get people on board but at the yeah. end it could also be that then for the person, it turns yeah. out it's the wrong fit. Of, yeah. um, they don't like the company. So I don't 
see a lot of benefit into pushing um, people into into a role that then might not be the right one because at the end yeah. it's, it's just like very costly to yeah. have to replace someone. Yeah, I completely agree. I think in, in your scenario with your friend, I think it's it works both ways, doesn't it really? Um, I think if, if a company can decide on someone that quickly after one call, I question how well they've actually screened this person. <laughs> um, but I think, uh, you know, me personally, I wouldn't join a company after one interview um, yeah. because you haven't had a chance to really understand them and um, you haven't had a chance to meet everyone that you want to meet and really, you know, moving job is, is a massive life decision. And I, I think some people, some companies don't necessarily realize that that, that is the case, you know. Um, they expect just because you've had a good conversation that then that's it, you know, that you should yeah. want to join us. I think there's also, I wanted to ask your opinion on this as well, is in today's market, certainly, um, how much selling as a company do you think you have to do now um, in comparison to maybe back when at sum up, let's say, because of how competitive the market is now, I spoke with um, another client of mine recently um, and they were saying the same thing. You know, they were saying it's not necessarily a case of screening these people for us. It's more, you know, how much selling do we have to do to this person depending on how good they are. Yeah. You know, if, if they yeah. find someone really good, it's not, it's maybe even adjusting the process for them um, because if they find someone really good, but they might have competitive offers, it's maybe we're saying, well, we don't really need, we don't really need to do this particular element. I, I don't see the value necessarily of doing this with this particular person, but we need to sell here. You know, we need to sell ourselves, you know, what we can do for them. I think in my opinion, the market's completely flipped. You know, it's no longer necessarily about candidates or, you know, people going for jobs, trying to sell themselves to the company. It's more the company selling to them, but how, what's your, what's your viewpoint on that at the moment? That's, I mean, I, I would agree on things like uh, adjusting the process and, and yeah. looking more at the needs also of the different candidates, because um, yeah. definitely like if you lose them, you lose them for good. Mm. Um, the market is way too competitive. Um, but when it comes to the selling specifically, I think the, the biggest fear I have with like trying to sell a role is like yeah. to oversell it and yeah. then have someone yeah. who joins and who signs up for something that they initially Yeah, that is not exactly what they thought. Yeah. Other, yeah. yeah. And I think that's, that's, again, back to the conversation that we had earlier, it's, it's quite costly to then lose someone in the process. Yeah. But nevertheless, I think, um, I mean, of course, it's, it's important to, to show people um, that there is, like to give them the arguments of why they should yeah. join your company. And I yeah. think the best arguments usually are um, the product itself right is it an interesting product yeah um secondly the team itself do you have um a strong team do you have quality people um that helps you attract more talent and more quality people uh, in the conversations um what is the culture of the company and i think if, if those few things are all there um and you sell them or you explain them the right way yeah. Um, that's that's the best thing that you can do, and I think it's also. Um, I mean, I I obviously choose the company that I work for also based on um, on those principles, right? Because yeah. if 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 the the team's processes or the product or the culture and so on um, isn't the right one, you won't be able to hire people. 
Yeah. Um, and that would suck. Uh, yeah, so, definitely. Definitely. <laughs> so I think it's, it's, it's a little bit a mix of, of creating yeah. the right environment um, so that people want to join, yeah. um, sell the reality, but don't oversell. Yeah. Definitely. I think it's massively about, obviously, certainly my position, but I think also from a company's perspective, it's understanding the, the individual's motivations as much as possible. Um, as, as we said, it's not, I think some companies have this perception of that the interview process is just them sort of like interrogating this person <laughs> to, to make sure that they're the right person for them. Um, but even when selling, you know, even, even in you know, better companies that understand that they need to create good culture, you know, have a good product and have a good opportunity for the person. But at the end of the day, you might be selling to the wrong person at, you know, at the end of it. Um, because if you don't get to the grips of what motivates this person, what they're interested in um, and things like that, you might have the best opportunity in the world, in your opinion. <laughs> um, yeah. But to them, it might be totally wrong um but yeah it's, i think it's obviously that's why the interview process is there to, to get to know them and, and to get to, to understand them um next next question i wanted to ask you Alex, was um and i know i've said this before to you as well that we've had this conversation a few times but i always get really interested to hear your thoughts on you know what do you look for in designers specifically so it could be obviously we've talked about portfolios before you know what you want to see from their work on, on portfolio um but outside of that as well, you know, it's obviously not just a portfolio, you're hiring a person, not just the, the work that they do. So what are the key, again, fundamentals of what you look for in a, in a designer that you'd want to yeah. hire for your team? Yeah. The first thing that you see is obviously always the portfolio. Yeah. Right? And I think yeah. that's, that's like really, um, I mean, there's, there's not so much emotion in, in looking at a portfolio. Yeah. Uh, you look at the basic skills, right? Is, do they understand the fundamental design principles? Do they have yeah. like some understanding um, visually? But really, the, the first thing that you see is like the visual design. Yeah, uh, generally, generally like you expect where... a designer to have good visual design. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, and... And I think past that step, you can look at, okay, um, what is actually the, the user experience or the product that they worked on? Um, mm -hmm. And I think then it really becomes interesting to understand, okay, how much of the whole product and the strategy and the features that are there have been, like, where, where have they been involved? Yeah. Have they just like been executing on a design request mm. um, or have they really been part of the process, right? I think, um, especially with product designers, this, this like really being part of this whole process, having a good understanding about the business itself, being able to talk about the business. Um, that is definitely one of the things that I uh, usually look for, yeah. right? Because um, at the end, you need to work with your stakeholders. You need to be able to explain them the ideas. You need to meet them on kind of their level, and that's yeah, the usually business coming level, from yeah. a business perspective. Mm. Yeah, so I think like being able to to communicate these things clearly, um, to have this understanding, uh, that's like one of the the, the core things, um, along with visual and and general like process uh, skills that I that I would be looking for. But I think beyond that, um, culture is also more and more important um right you want to have 
people who are generally curious who do their work not only because of the financial motivation that some yeah. might maybe have uh, in today's uh, market. Um, you want to have people who are excited about um, actually creating good work, having an impact, um, and 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 pushing a product uh, onto the next level. Um, and I think what's also important is to kind of look at okay, wh- where are they coming from and where do they want to go to? Yeah. Um, because more than just like then like more than using that to decide okay um is it a good designer or not it's like really also to figure out do i have the right role for him and uh, unfortunately we had to also um reject some really good candidates simply because i don't think they would have long-term fit the team because there's people already in the team you need to think of like how do you give them growth How how are you able to um, promote or move them in order to yeah. keep them also excited um, and to give them a certain level of uh, career growth also and therefore every single person that you need to add also needs to fit into those existing structures so it's not yeah. only about like th- there can be massive people that are just not the right fit for yeah. this one specific role and then you need to pass on them and I think um that's maybe also something like for for candidates to keep in mind that's not always just down to the skills the culture the way they communicate in the interview um but i think as 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 managers it's also really our role to make sure that we hire people into a role that keeps them happy yeah and if we feel like we can't do that um yeah then they probably find or they need to find something better somewhere else yeah um so yeah i think that leads us very nicely into the last question i wanted to ask you was obviously once you've built your design team you know, you've got people into the team um as we've established the market is so competitive right now they probably have tens of tens of others of uh recruiters like myself hounding their uh, linkedin inboxes and emails to try and uh, sway them away from from your business um how do you go about i know you mentioned in that last uh, that last point you made about um you know finding where they fit into the team providing career growth and things like that but how do you keep or retain your staff once you've hired them <laughs> mm, so generally the one and most important thing is to like really try to invest as much time as possible to understand what they want, what they need, um, what their kind of end goal is for the career, like even long-term end goal, like, like where do they want to move into? Do they want to stay in design? Do they want to stay, do they want to move in something completely different? Do they want to found their own company and so on? And then making the best out of the time that they are with you, right? And the best thing to do that is by supporting them with, their steps and their career and mm. and their future and it could be that um maybe the that doesn't mean that they need to stay with you forever yeah um, or maybe they shift into a different role maybe they move into product maybe they move into um operations yeah i don't know right but yeah it, it really starts like with having an open mind try to understand where they are what drives them, what motivates them, um, and where they want to go. Try to 
identify their their areas where they can grow, where they are currently not performing. Also being transparent around that. Sometimes yeah. it's not like super clear. Um, and I think feedback is also extremely important. Um, and then try to also give them a plan on how to achieve certain things, right? Yeah. Career development plans. Um, and it is hard. <laughs> it's like yeah, really, definitely. definitely it, it, yeah. it also means a lot of work of individually understanding the different people. Mm. Um, and sometimes you're just extremely busy. So um, you might not invest all the time that you should in, for example, one-on-ones or staying close yeah. to, the, to the team or you, you use the time in a wrong way because you're um, way too focused on maybe some urgent topics like a specific yeah. project. But I think to keep people happy, it's like really just to also personally get to know them mm. um, and try to then navigate them around the team, try to find yeah. the right opportunities. Um, could be inside the job or could be outside the job. Sometimes mm. even... Yeah. Um, um, giving someone the opportunity to talk at some conferences or yeah. to um, share something outside or to run one of the all hands presentations and so on. Mm. Sometimes even these, these small things are already like good opportunities to give them growth opportunities. And as long as you can constantly like uh, give them that, I think they, you, you will also have a lot of people that, that are happier. Right. And yeah, it also goes all the way to the to the to the opposite of you might have people that don't necessarily want to constantly change role or to yeah. be promoted or to manage people. Um, and I think there it's also important that for those people you have the right plans in place so that they can um, so that they they can still kind of get their promotions in terms of yeah. the higher salary. So that you don't just create one path that's true for all. Yeah. I think that's where, um, and most companies do this right nowadays. Um, I think five years ago um, or before that, it, it was quite different. Yeah. Um, but like also having this individual contributor versus manager track mm. um, to allow people to then shift between yeah. it, experiment um, and see mm do I want to become an expert somewhere or do I want to manage people? Yeah. Um, so I think, yeah, it's like really down to, there's yeah. a lot that goes into it. Yeah, for um, sure. You need to have a career plan. You need to stay close yeah. to the people. You need to work with them. Yeah. I think one, one key point you made there as well is um, certainly why I picked up on um, was the um, outside effects of you know, the job or what they want to achieve. Sometimes it's not just, they want to achieve this in their role it might be something they want to achieve outside of the job um or it might be something that they achieve within the job that leads to you know what they want to achieve outside i think no. a, bit, a common term we use in recruitment is trying to find the reasons behind the reasons um and there is always reasons behind you know if someone wants to become a leader um or you know get a salary increase what what does that mean for you outside of work you know what does that allow you to achieve does it allow you to achieve you know, move house or get a car or you know whatever it might be you know people people want different things with their money and and have different motivations but i think a, mis a common mistake people make is that they just might focus on what they want to achieve in their in their job um and that without understanding what the outside reasons might be um, and that might lead to them not being able to truly fulfill what they're what they're looking for essentially but yeah, look, Alex, I think we'll end it there. Um, but it was an absolute pleasure. Um, 
I think this will be a great listen for uh, for anyone who's uh, who's going to tune in for sure. Um, it's also an, uh, available on Spotify for anyone watching too. So we have uh, shifted to Spotify, or of course you can still listen to it on YouTube where it was before. Um, yeah, look, Alex, really appreciate your time again. Thanks very much, man. Matt, thanks a lot. It was great to be here, and uh, we stay in touch.